Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. This week, we have a returning guest to the to the show. It's Brian Toporek. He is a contributor at Forbes Sports and Fansided. He's also the co-host of the NBA pod. Uh, we had Brian on about six weeks or so ago. I'm happy to have him back. And uh, Brian, thank you for joining the show. And uh, my first question is, did you receive your $8.25 million check in the mail on Friday? <laughs> I, I did not get mine. So I, maybe, maybe it's the mail service is slow these days. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually holding out as well. So I decided, <laughs> I likewise decided to bypass my 8.25 million, but I, I expect my new team to pay for it. That's true. It's in an escrow account. Um, <laughs> no, nobody wants to go to Camden. So no, uh, no, no, no. So uh, yeah, we're, we're obviously talking about the, the Ben Simmons situation. So we had a lot of developments. It seems like there's a new report every day. Uh, these days. And since uh, the last time I I spoke to all the listeners out there last week, we've had a number of new developments. The most recent one is that the Sixers withheld 25% of Ben Simmons's salary that was due to him on October 1st. Uh, It's an approximately $8.25 million price tag. Um, That money has been placed in an escrow account and they will use that escrow account to pay any fines that a crew as Ben does not show up for practices training in training camp, uh, exhibition games, and then eventually regular season games, which will be a little over $220,000 per game, I believe is the total. Um, so Brian, were you, were you surprised that this, this all went down as it did in the past week? No, I think Daryl pretty well telegraphed it on Monday during media day. He said, you know, I'm not going to go into specifics, but the CBA pretty clearly spells out what's going to happen to him if he holds out. I think the question was whether it was legal to withhold this 8.25 million. You know, like once he starts actually missing games, then you can start finding him. But how they're going about it, I think there are probably some questions. And if Rich Paul really wants to force some action here he might try to appeal to the players union and force some sort of a hearing about that um so i think the specifics exactly of how they're going about it was kind of the big question mark but i mean again daryl said like (laughs) look the cba says if you aren't you know you don't show up for a game you get find that check so it was pretty clear that they were going to do it you know, is this going to help repair the relationship and get him back into Philly, which they are ostensibly trying to do? Absolutely not. But I don't think that was on the table anyway. Yeah, that, that ship appears to have sailed. It appears to have circumnavigated the globe. <laughs> right. and it's it's never coming back into port. No, um, the, the flat earth theory actually worked here. <laughs> he, he sailed off the earth and he is not coming back. Yes. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. It is it is kind of a legal gray area because the CBA does clearly define you're able to find people if they don't show up for media day or training camp or anything. But as for withholding checks that they are due, 
that is not something that has ever been specifically laid out. So it's kind of interesting from a, like a precedent standpoint for going mm-hmm. forward for other players that, you know, Ben is a, a unique situation, not in that he's holding out, but in that he still has four years remaining on his deal. We've never really seen a big star that recently signed an extension and then just held, just starts holding out. Like I, I guess teams are worried in the future hey, if, if you're Bradley Beal or another star, why wouldn't you just get a Supermax because that's the only avenue available to you to get that amount of money, stay with your team, and then just immediately say, okay, I want to trade and I'm not showing up. Um, I, I don't know. Do you get the feeling that that's something that is in the back of a lot of owners' minds right now? And I have to imagine this is something that's, you know, every, everyone in the league is keeping a very close eye on. Absolutely. Yeah. I wrote about this at Forbes a week or two ago where, you know, like the, once his holdout threat started to materialize, like everyone was just writing about that this is going to happen. And I wanted to take kind of a bigger picture look because at the time I feel like sentiment was more like, haha Sixers instead of like, oh, this is a bigger problem for the league. But as you said, if a guy with four years left on his contract can hold out to force a trade, then contracts effectively become meaningless. So yeah. everyone's on a dated of, a day-to-day deal until right, they decide exactly. they don't want to show up. Yeah. So like if fans of other teams might find it funny that it's happening to the Sixers, but in two years, if Zion Williamson signs his rookie max extension and then immediately says he wants out, I don't think Pelicans fans are going to be laughing. Or if like Luca in a year or two, if the Jason Kidd hire blows up in the Mavericks face and Kristaps is broken down and he's like, this team is never going to build around me. He asks out, you know, that's going to, this is why the Ben situation is so interesting because it really could set a precedent where if this works, then all of these other owners, especially in small markets or, you know, non-marquee free agent destinations are going to be terrified. Like they, the league is going to want to crush this. They don't want this to work because it's going to effectively render contracts meaningless. And I wonder you know, with CBA negotiations coming up in a couple of years, like if this actually boils over further and works and, you know, the owners are pissed, I could see this contributing to, you know, harsher negotiations or God forbid, even a lockout. So, you know, outside of just the Sixers specific ramifications, I'm more interested in it from a league wide perspective, because like if, if this works, what does it mean for every other star? You know, if, if a, a team like the Pelicans can win the number one overall pick, you know, that is your, your one hope of really getting a superstar. You're not going to get them by a free agency. Maybe you get them by a trade, but like, you know, winning the number one pick every year is supposed to be your meal ticket. You got this guy for, you know, really like seven to nine years. And you're supposed to be able to have pretty much that entire time to build around him. What if you don't, what if you only have a, like three or four years, in which case, you don't really have any time to build around him. There's not enough time to build a successful team if you're getting the number one pick. So I think it's it's fascinating from that perspective beyond just like, you know, what can we actually start talking about the Sixers as an actual basketball team instead of just this theoretical exercise? Yeah, I, I mean, you could even take it a step forward. And this is something we've seen in the NFL more is that like a, a presumptive number one pick. Hey, I don't want to go to the city. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not going to show up to, you know, this year was Kate Cunningham, Detroit, Detroit, not a like marquee destination really, but like, Hey, I don't want to go to Detroit or wherever else. Like 
I'm not, I'm just not going to show up. Like that's the extreme of this situation. But if you're talking about players have ultimate say and authority on, on where they end up, that, that is where you, you would potentially wind up. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's a weird spot because, you know, most of us are pro player empowerment and everything else. You want to see them have a certain amount of, uh, you know, authority and over their own livelihoods and their career and everything else. But there, there has to be some sort of balance. It just can't be like taking, taking as much money as you can get. And then you you instantly screw a team over. (laughs) Um, So it's a weird situation. And obviously this isn't, it's not quite the same with the, with the Ben situation right now, there, there have been some circumstances and he's been here for a few years already. So we're, we're just talking more hypothetical down the road where, where something like this could lead, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, you, you kind of see both sides and it's weird to be Sixers fans are, are totally pro management right now. They're right. Like, yeah, <laughs> the heck with Ben, like find him, like, do whatever you need to do Philadelphia front office. And uh, yeah, it's a weird position to be in. I don't, I don't think a lot of Sixers fans, if they look in the mirror, like, yeah, I'm super pro management, but that's right. where they kind of find themselves these days. It's like um, the first time we could say that within the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It wasn't happening during burner gate. I assure no. you. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So continuing with Ben a little bit, uh, you know, ever since game seven, to Atlanta, um, this has been the open question all offseason. We heard recently that he officially kind of asked out right after the season during their meetings in Chicago. But the the reasoning has kind of shifted as time has gone on. We, we've heard oh, the, the, he doesn't like playing in front of the fan base. We've heard the relationship with Doc was damaged by Doc Rivers' comments after game seven that he's not sure whether he's a point guard on a championship team. Um, more recently, we, we saw a couple of reports. Um, one was from Kevin O'Connor at the ringer where he wanted the, the clutch organization wanted uh, Ben to be sent somewhere where a team would be able to build around him on offense. Um, the, the athletics, Sam Amick had a report this week that Ben wants to go somewhere where uh he felt he has felt we're playing around Joel Embiid's style isn't conducive to the way he wants to play. Um, we're going to go into Joel's kind of response to that in a minute. But before we do, I, I just wanted to ask you, what do you, what do you make about, I, I don't want to call them excuses, but these shifting reasons for the holdout that have been provided, how much do you, do, do you buy into any of them more than others? Do you think that, uh, how, how much of them actually hold weight and you actually kind of agree with if you do. Um, what are your thoughts on all those? Yeah, I'm sure all of them are somewhat valid, but like the fit questions have lingered over Simmons and Embiid in particular since these guys started playing together. So this isn't anything new and he was able to at least deal with it during the regular season for the last four years. So maybe he's been hiding this burning frustration under the surface this whole time, but you know, I don't think I'm guessing it was just kind of like everything at once, like the, the culmination of it all was that game seven moment. And then having Doc and Embiid pile on afterward, having the fans all off season pile on, you know, knowing that he was included in these James Harden trade talks last year, you know, I, I can understand from Ben's perspective why he wants out. I don't necessarily agree with the way he's going about it. 
And I think you have to realize there are consequences if you sign a five-year contract extension that is fully guaranteed. Even if things go south, you still have to live up to your contractual obligations. So I, you know, I, I don't blame him for wanting out. I think my bigger question, you know, based on some of the reporting about, sure, like there are other teams might be able to better optimize Ben Simmons than the Sixers since they have Joel Embiid. If you can put Ben, like I, I always come back to Miles Turner as being kind of his like perfect front court compliment because unlike Embiid, who you're going to run a lot of offense through, especially in the post, you know, Miles Turner doesn't mind camping out on the three-point line and bombing away from deep, but he's still the defensive rim protector, shot blocker that, you know, early last season, he was in the defensive player of the year conversation. So I could see those guys fitting better than Simmons and Embiid did because you're not going to have as much offensively running through Turner as you do Embiid. So maybe that means more Simmons, you know, Simmons plus four shooters could be more of a conceptual fit there. But I just don't know that Ben Simmons is good enough to be the type of guy who you build around. You know, like if he wants to be this heliocentric star, okay, cool. You're an all-star. Like I'll give you, you know, you're a top 25 player in the league. I will give you that. But I, I don't want to build my offense around, like, I don't think a championship team is built around a guy who is, you know, kind of lower on the all-star list. Like I think Luka Doncic, it's James Harden. That's fine. Like Russell Westbrook back in his prime, you can build around those guys and that makes sense. But I don't, I don't know if Ben Simmons is that caliber of player without addressing the specific weaknesses in his game. And that's the other thing that I come back to when he's talking about the fit issues. It's like, bro, the fit issues are because of you. Yeah. It's like, if you wanted to improve the fit, you had to start taking jump shots or you had to improve as a free throw shooter. You had to improve your aggressiveness. They had like, we've had the same conversations about Ben Simmons offensively for years now, where it's like, which, which version of Ben Simmons shows up on any given night. If he's aggressive and attacking the basket and trying to draw fouls, that's the version that the Sixers needed. And they made that work during the regular season. There are questions about how effective he, he can be, and especially with them being in the playoffs. But like, if we got that version, even in the playoffs last year, if we got that aggressive downhill version of Ben Simmons every night, I don't think we're having any of these conversations. I think they at least make it to the conference finals. But it's just always been a question of like, okay, sometimes Ben Simmons just doesn't show up. And for a five-year max contract guy, you can't afford that. So if, if, you know, some of the reports about like Ben wants to go to a team where he's the clear number one alpha, it's like, okay, cool. But like, is that team going anywhere? Are you going to be like a first? I feel like that type of team has a first round ceiling at best. Yeah, it's. It's interesting if he goes somewhere is he where, where there isn't a Joel Embiid who everyone kind of views as the franchise cornerstone, does he just play differently then? Is he just like, okay, what I've shown you one out of every five games, I'm going to do that every night now just because there's not a Joel present to kind of like be able to take a night off and not constantly being attacking the rim. Like every, everyone wants to make the Giannis comparison, but Ben doesn't do a lot – a lot of the things that Giannis does on offense to, to even make that comparison viable. He, he doesn't consistently attack. He's not a good finisher around the rim. He doesn't, 
he doesn't have a like a wide array of post moves that he can go to. Um, and he, he doesn't have like he's a strong guy, but he doesn't if he has a guy back down on the block, he's not like sticking his shoulder into him and, and going up and over him towards the rim. He usually if it's not there, he'll he'll look for a passing lane to kick it out to someone else. And that's kind of the end of the play for him. Um, and he doesn't have a mid range game at all. Like he's not he, he has no sort of floater or he's, he's not like pulling up at all. And, and obviously, you know, the outside shooting is something that's beaten in the ground. But of course, that would help as well. And at least, you know, Giannis takes those shots, which Ben does not. Um, you, you can, you know, that's a different discussion, whether there's right. value in a, a guy shooting 28% from three uh, or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so many things that Giannis does that, that Ben doesn't. So it's like Ben's camp is saying, Hey, we want somewhere to go where he can be the number one option. And when he, when he's the number one option, don't worry, he'll be a completely different player mm-hmm. than what you've seen. It, it just doesn't add up. Um, and th- th- this is a good point to, to jump into Joel's comments uh, this, this week. So he was kind of responding to a question and it was based off the, the Sam Amick report about how, Ben said that playing alongside Joel wasn't conducive to his style. So Joel basically said, like, listen, the team has been consistently built around Ben. Um, we, we brought in Al because they wanted to have a stretch big to, to pair alongside Simmons. We got rid of Jimmy because, and he said, which I still think was a mistake, which was <laughs> a great subtle little dig by, by Joel uh, towards, towards the front office. Um, He's, he's always savvy with those little, those little yeah. quotes he gets in there. Um, but he said, you know, they got rid of Jimmy because Ben said he wanted the ball in his hands. So they got rid of a guy that would have to take, take the ball out of Ben's hands in, in Jimmy Butler. Um, and he, he went down the list. He's like, listen, I'm the worst aside from Ben. I'm the worst shooter in, in the starting lineup last year. Like I, I shot 38%, which is really good for a big man. We have Seth an all-time great shooter. Uh, Tobias is a 40% shooter. He, he mentioned some guys on the bench. And another funny moment was he said, and Shake, well, Shake could could improve, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he, get, he can get hot. And, and everyone kind of made the, the link to uh, Joel and, and Shake having the, the on-court cursing argument a couple years back. And, and they're like, yeah, Joel's, Joel's totally not over it with Shake. He, he he felt compelled to, to mention that Shake's not quite there yet with his three point shooting, which just another great honest moment from Joel. Um, but yeah, he said, uh, you know, the teams have always been built around what Ben needs, and it's borderline kind of disrespectful that all the guys out here fighting for their lives that he's not showing up. Um, so I mean, personally, I thought there, I thought everything he said was right on the ball. Uh, I don't. I, I, I kind of sense you're agreeing uh, based on your, your nodding here. Uh, I don't know what, what was your immediate reaction when, when the, the full transcript of Joel's quotes uh, came out the other day? My first reaction was like, I've been waiting for this. I, I just felt like Embiid's anger, even during media day on Monday was pretty palpable toward the whole situation. And I just know he's not going to be able to bite his tongue forever. So yeah. I, like, I figured once the trade goes down, I don't think he's ever going to go full guns blazing and like just start being like, I hated Ben Simmons for years. That guy sucks. He's trash. He's, you know, like yeah. what he used to do to a drum in or white side. But like, I guarantee you the first time they play whatever team Simmons winds up on, we're going to great like a great Instagram post with some sub tweet in there. And I'm so excited for it. <laughs> uh, I, but I mean, it's, it's clear he's reaching that point already. 
And part of me wonders if it's, you know, now having been in training camp for a couple of days, we'll talk about Tyrese in a bit, but, you know, seeing the team without really any true point guard on the roster, like this, if until they resolve this situation, whether Ben comes back, which is not going to happen, or they trade him, they are going to be worse. I, I, there's no getting around that as much as we yeah. could slam. Ben which, Simmons. which Joel said, he, right. he literally said like, listen, we're a better team when Ben's here, he's not here. So obviously we're going to be worse for it, but, and then he talked about all the other stuff, but he, he also was clear like, Hey, we're, we're not as good with Ben without Ben. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, seeing the team in action for a couple of days and knowing how much they miss him as a playmaker, that might be pushing his frustration as well. But I, I'm with you. Everything he said is true. Like I don't have sources if we're plugged in at the time of the 2019 decisions, but based on at least some of the back channel rumors that, you know, Jimmy was a free agent. Tobias is a free agent. Ben was up for a contract extension. Joel clearly loves Jimmy. Jimmy clearly loves Joel. I don't think there was a lot of love lost between Jimmy and Brett Brown and Jimmy and Ben. I, you know, I, Brett Brown in that playoff series, like before those playoffs began, they refused to like guarantee that he would even be there, survive that off season. So I, I don't think they chose Brett Brown over Jimmy. I think I would not be surprised. And this is again, not plugged in. This is just my read on the situation. I would not be surprised if Ben Simmons said, I'm not signing that contract extension if you re-sign Jimmy Butler. So I do think it was probably one or the other. And knowing that Ben was younger, doesn't have the Tibbs miles on his legs. And, you know, Jimmy Butler's an incredible player. But, like, if Ben did improve in the areas, the obvious glaring areas, I think he had a higher ceiling than Jimmy Butler, who was already in his prime, like, you know, closer to the tail end of his prime than Ben, who's not even there yet. So I understand why they chose Ben over Jimmy if that was the choice. But in retrospect, that was a huge mistake. Like, and I could see Jimmy or Joel now, especially knowing how close they were in 2019, seeing how the situation has devolved. Now you go back and think like, well, damn, what if they just re-signed Jimmy and traded Ben at the time? Think about how much they could have gotten for Ben Simmons a couple of years ago compared to what they're going to end up getting for him now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they almost got James Harden for him last year. And yeah. And, and that was... That probably would have absolutely happened if there hadn't been the bad blood between Rockets ownership and and Daryl Morey. But so yeah, that's that's the value of Ben as as recently as a year ago was top five ish player in the league. You could get back for him. So yeah, considering he would have been an extra year younger the, the year earlier, and the, you know all the hey the potential is still there and the, the warts in his game will be ironed out. Like yeah, yeah I mean probably. Aside from three or four guys, you could have anyone in the league for Ben. I, I think this is like years of frustration is starting to really bubble over for Joel. And I'm I'm scared of what's coming next week. Cause I, you know, <laughs> they're not gonna stop asking it. That like that this is where it can become a distraction for the team. Like until this situation yeah. is resolved, they're going to keep asking all of the players about it. They're gonna keep asking Doc about it. It's gonna be the topic every single day. Once they start going to different cities, like other reporters from other teams are going to start asking about it. So this is just going to be like, they're going to want to say, we're just focused on the guys here. That has been their, their line all week, but 
clearly they aren't or clearly they can't be. I mean, again, you're missing such a big piece of this team that it's going to be a distraction. The question is how do they manage it as best as possible until Daryl resolves it? Yeah. It's, it's not only, Hey, we're a worse team because we don't have Ben. It's going to be like, Hey, this cloud is hanging over us as, as we go through the regular season. And, you know, we're still, right in the the middle of the Eastern conference playoff picture, but how much does that affect us um, as a team? Uh, Yeah, it's tough. Uh, You met, you mentioned Brett, uh, just a quick thought that came to me. Uh, I I wonder if Brett, if he hadn't had the familial connections with Ben, like he he knew him all his life growing up because, you know, Brett had the relationship with Ben's father uh, over in Australia. Like, would it have been different between Brett and Jimmy if, if Brett wasn't trying to like prop up Ben as much as possible? Um, just, it, it, that's just something that occurred to me, something, you know, to think about whether that, that relationship might've been different if, if Ben hadn't been around um, or if Ben had just been like random player that Brett didn't, didn't know for 20 years prior. Right. Um, that's a fair question. I, I don't know the answer, but it's definitely like, I, I would, the tell-all book on this era of the Sixers. I don't even need the process. Just give me like the 2018, 19. Yeah. That's the one I really care about. The the post process. Um, yeah, yeah. It. I mean, the Sixers have not been dull the last <laughs> eight years right. or so. It's always there's always been something overly dramatic going on with them. Um, yeah. Even 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 as the the on court product improved, they still remained very dramatic. Um, so yeah. Where the, the embodiment of that Darren Rovell tweet of like, I feel terrible for the country, but this is tremendous content. That is, that <laughs> that, is the Sixers. Yeah, that's, that's been uh, the, the Liberty Ballers uh, motto this entire yeah. summer. <laughs> <laughs> We're tired of talking about this, but darn if this doesn't drive traffic to the site. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we both kind of like mostly agree with everything that, that Joel had to say this week. Um, yeah, I, I do wonder how much that will continue to, you know, affect him as he's constantly asked about that. And and in his mind, he just wants to, you know, focus on continuing to improve his game. And I'm sure he would like it if people asked him more about like being an MVP runner up than about mm-hmm. this, this guy that uh, he might or might not have a good relationship with, but isn't even there in the building. So uh, yeah, that's got to be frustrating for him. Um, so moving on to the guy that has re- replaced Ben in the starting lineup for uh, at least training camp so far is uh, Tyrese Maxey. You wrote a, a piece about him for Forbes earlier this week. It, Doc was kind of coy about how they would replace Ben if Ben wasn't to show up you know, prior to training camp. But Tyrese was always kind of the, the obvious answer. He stepped, he stepped up various moments last season. Uh, he had the, the big... COVID game against Denver where they basically had a skeleton crew and he scored 39. Uh, he had a couple other big games. Um, he had the, the game six performance to kind of save the season for, for at least two days um, against Atlanta where he had, you know, 16 points off the bench. Um, so, and then in summer league, he, he officially made the two good for summer league team where he played two games was just seemingly able to do whatever he wanted. Uh, the three point shot, really looked improved in summer league. He was much more willing to, to shoot those pull-ups and everything else, which are those kind of advanced shots that if you're going to level up as a point guard, you need to take. Um, so I don't know, based on what you've seen 
from Tyrese. What, what do you think are fair expectations for him entering the season? Uh, I think obviously the, the scoring and the shooting will be a step up from Ben, but you know, for all Ben's faults, he, he also led the league in three point assists. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he was and is a, a tremendous playmaker. Um, so with Tyrese entering the starting lineup, where, what do you think Sixers fans should, should hope to see from him if, if he is day one point guard starter um, on October 19th or whenever their first game is? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that is the, the big odd court question this season, other than the bed situation. Because, I mean, reading some of the quotes coming out from training camp this week, you could take like a glass half full or a glass half empty view of them where, you know, like Danny Green is saying, you know, this kid's going to be a star one day in the league. And like Doc and Daryl have been raving about the kid all last year. They came in raving about him this year. You know, Doc said with or without Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey is going to have a much bigger role this year. So I I don't think he's going to be on the fridge of the rotation like he was last year. So that's a positive, but I mean, you know, Tobias in particular was saying like, yeah, he's had a good camp, but he's still got to learn how to play point guard. Just like, okay, well, that's not what you want to hear two weeks from the start of the season. Um, So I don't think it's going to be, you know, Tyrese Maxey's going to come in and average eight assists per game. Like Ben Simmons did. Like I, I think, five or six would be great. That's yeah. That's I think the team would be thrilled if he averaged, you know, five and a half assists a game. Yeah. That, that would be a huge uptick from last year. And I, so I think it's going to be more of a, like a by committee approach where it, not necessarily Tyrese Maxey is going to have the ball in his hands on every single possession. Like if Tobias catches a rebound, they're going to tell Tobias to run. If Seth Curry catches a rebound, they're going to say he can go, lead the offense for or at least you know go up the court like I think the offense is going to run probably even more through Joel Embiid than it did last year I think it's going to be harder for teams to double him now that you don't have the non-shooting threat of Simmons on the court so that will be interesting if if a team does double him in theory you're going to have four guys now spaced out along the perimeter who are at least willing to take those shots maybe they intentionally leave maxi open because he will be the weakest of the four shooters and we'll see if he can make defenses pay for it um i think the dribble drive threat of maxi is going to be something that the sixers have lacked like throughout this entire era i mean i can't think of another guard who create off the dribble like yeah. Maxi can. So it's going to be fun to actually see the Sixers be able to run a 21st century offense. You know, like we, we, every time he came on the floor last year, it was like, Holy crap. Guards are allowed to do that. <laughs> it, I, I it's, know. Yeah. It's like, honestly, I'm only 10% joking when I say like Ish Smith is like the yeah. last guy they had to be able to get by his defender from the point of attack off the dribble. Right, right. Well, I was gonna say like Isaiah Cannon, maybe. Sip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but but it's been you know a long time since the Sixers have had a guard with the skill set that Maxi has. So I think it's gonna be different. Like they're they're gonna miss Ben's playmaking for sure, and they're gonna miss Ben's defense. As good as Bible is, we don't. I don't think he's gonna start. So Danny Green's gonna be the primary wing defender. That is a big step down from Ben Simmons, who was runner up and defensive player of the year last year. So it's just going to be, you know, can they make up offensively through Maxi's scoring, shooting, and his ability to create off the dribble? Does that make up for what they lose defensively and from playmaking? And I think, you know, with Ben 
until they resolve the situation one way or the other, like Thibault is also going to, I hope, have a much bigger role. The, the quotes coming out from camp about him have been extremely positive where, you know, it sounds like the Olympic experience was great for him. And I guess he went to go try train with Tobias for a week. And that was a really positive situation for him as well. So now, you know, this is really his first like normal ish off season, I guess. And same with Maxi, like, you know, they, they've just had this COVID stuff hanging over them for, for a while. And like Thibel went right from, you know, <laughs> the season shut down, they go to the bubble, they have a two month off season after that, and then go right back in. So like, this is all of these guys first chance to really just have that normal off season where they can have their typical skill development. So I think that's something that, you know, if you're trying to get excited for this season, and I know it's hard to do right now because of this Ben situation, the development of those two guys in particular, I think is probably the number one thing to monitor early in the year. And I'll, I'm curious to see, you know, if Daryl kind of wants to see Maxi in action before deciding on whether to pull the trigger on Simmons, because if, if Maxi looks like he can actually handle the full-time point role, then that opens up a wider array of trade possibilities for Ben, where you don't necessarily need to get a lead guard back. But if, if Maxi looks like he's totally over his head, you know, you almost need to get another ball handler back in this, in this trade for Ben, because yeah. you can't, you can't rely on just Maxi and shake as your two guys. Right. Yeah. It, it's not that he, it's going to be what he decides he looks for in a Ben return, whether, right. yeah, because you're right. If you, if you have Maxi and the first two months of the year, he's, you know, averaging 15 and five and shooting 35% from three, you're like, okay, he, it, it looks like he can be the guy for a playoff contender. Um, so let's, let's just see how that goes. And he might prioritize a, a top-notch three and D wing or something in, in a return alongside picks or whatever versus mm-hmm. like, Oh, we need a point guard. Like, Maybe Malcolm Brogdon is, that's, you know, not ideal, but that's the best we can do. So let's just do it or, right. or what, you know, whatever, just pull the names out of the hat. But yeah, Matisse is certainly going to be a big part and his ability to jump from playing 20 minutes a game to like 28 minutes a game is, is going to be huge, um, both via his ability to contribute offensively. He's going to have to be a little more consistent with his shooting. And, you know, he's shown some flashes of like being a good cutter and, you know, uh, making the right pass here and there, but he's got to do all that more consistently. And he's got to obviously cut down on the fouls if he's going to be playing more, logging more court time and being the primary defender um, at all times whenever he's on the court. Um, whereas before, if he was sharing the court with Ben, Ben would have been the, the primary guy. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be a big thing. And, you know, we, we, we covered Maxi, but you mentioned how Joel would have a more central role in the offense. And I, I would definitely look for him to average a career high in assists this upcoming mm-hmm. year. Uh, he's he's gradually made improvements with his passing as each year has gone on. So I'd cont- I'd look for that to continue. And you know, he said in his comments, like, "Listen, I went out to the three point line a lot more than yeah. I would ideally like to because Ben was here. So I, I think you're going to see a lot more Joel in the post and." You're right. You 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 said you're going to have the spacing that you didn't have when Ben was here. Like, there's not going to be a guy standing six feet from Joel in the dunker spot, um, mm-hmm. ready with a guy ready to double Joel that he has to be constantly worried about. So yeah, I think you might see a lot more Joel getting the ball in the post with four guys spaced around the arc because 
Ben's not there. You have that, that ability to do that. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a different off. And, and you, you said the, the high pick and rolls, um, we saw it the first day of training camp, they're running a, a, a one, five pick and roll with Maxie and Joel. Like that's just not something they did because, right. uh, if, if Joel's rolling down the lane with a point guard and Ben's standing there, like down, down in the dunker <laughs> spot, like that, that's not helping you at all. Cause his man's already under the basket. Um, yeah. So yeah, Jack did say they were gonna still keep someone in the dunker spot, and this is where I'm like, <laughs> the playoff rotations were already a big concern with Doc last year. But I've got like a five alarm fire going with Doc <laughs> right now between his comments about small ball, his yeah. comments about the dunkers, like keeping a guy in the dunker spot. It's like, uh, yeah, Tobias does not need to be in the dunker spot. No, <laughs> which is yeah, like it's it so logical to just put four guys on the perimeter and space this thing out because then you're going to have a wide open shot if Joe draws a double team. Yeah, um, and the the only guy I want to see in the dunker spot is Danny Green for a split second as he's making his his Danny yeah, Green cut yeah. along the baseline. <laughs> I want him to be there for half a second on on the full the full sprint along the baseline. Yeah, um, otherwise. Yeah. Otherwise no one there, please doc. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't catch that comment from him. That, that is a little, cons- maybe he yeah, was, was, maybe he was just still in uh, w- the Ben appeasement mode yeah. at the time. Like, Oh no, the offense isn't going to change. Like Ben can come back and yeah. everything will be the same. I don't know. Don't yeah. worry. We'll keep you useless in the half court. I will say though, too, about the point guard spot, he did mention you know, his concern, and he said on media day, my concern is not necessarily starting lineup. It's this takes one point guard away from the bench now too. So we saw shake last year seemed to really struggle in that role as the primary point guard off the bench. And that's why they went out and acquired George Hill, the trade deadline. So that is something also to watch. Not only how Maxi does as the primary, but shake does as the secondary. Cause again, they don't really have a true point guard on the roster. Like they're, there isn't even just an Ish Smith. So like, I, I, I think how those two guys do in particular will dictate the urgency of resolving the Ben situation and exactly what they pursue in return for Ben. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel they're giving shake the shot, but I, I think as long as Tyrese does fairly well, that's, that's not really going to have an impact on, on a Ben situation. Like you can always go out and get like a, a backup point guard around the mm-hmm. trade deadline for a second round pick or whatever. So if, if Tyrese is doing fine, but shake isn't cutting it, I, I don't think they would view that as too much of a problem. Like that's, that's a fairly easily correctable thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, I mean, you could go as far as to say they haven't had a true point guard on the roster <laughs> in a while because, you know, true point guards generally shoot three pointers. So right. Uh, right. I don't, I don't know if Ben would actually qualify for that moniker either so yeah it, it will be interesting to see you know how how those two young guys roll out um kind of kind of in new roles for both of them who mm-hmm. they were there they've been more combo guards all their life uh so you know it, it's good to see what young guys can do and see if they can spread their wings in a new role and and contribute um because if if they're able to then that's that's found money for you so yeah, that, that's definitely, uh, aside from Ben, it, that's probably the biggest, you know, storyline throughout training camp in the preseason. Um, mm-hmm. so the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about here, uh, you wrote, you wrote something, uh, for fan sided doing it. They're doing their 25 under 25 series, um, which they do every year. And it's always interesting to look at. Um, so your recent one, you had Trey young as, as number four, um, 
first I want to ask you how is it just that everybody votes over at Fansided mm-hmm. and you just kind of like pull it together and collectively decide where, where these guys fall? Yeah, we do a ballot, you know, you grade everyone on a one to 10 scale based on the impact you expect them to make this year. And then we just average the scores together and get the composite. So uh, I, I don't remember what I graded Matisse, but I'm pretty sure I was higher than anyone else on him. So let the (laughs) record reflect that his absence of the top 25 was not my fault. And I was really pissed when I saw he missed it. Um, All right, good. Yeah, I, I was mean, gonna, I was gonna say, I feel like he could have snuck into the top twenty-five. I, I know. <laughs> I think it was like twenty-seven or something. He was really close, and I think next year he'll be in there. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me next year if both Maxi and Tyrese are in there. Oh yeah, I mean, if they're both playing twenty-eight minutes plus for a top three seed in a, in the Eastern Conference, like you, you think they'd have to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the reason I, I I wanted to ask you about Trey, obviously, Sixers fans got a firsthand look at how good he can be in the last year's postseason. Um, but there, there have been uh, officiating adjustments that have been made this offseason. Um, a lot of them seem like they could impact Trey's game. They're, they're, they're talking about the uh, when a guy drives and uses his off arm to kind of hook a defender, they're not going to mm-hmm. flag the defender for that. That's going to be more of an offensive foul. Um, if they abruptly alter their path, and, and kind of like stop suddenly and lean back into a defender that that's going to be on the offensive player. Now, this was something a lot of Fixers fans were furious about in the Atlanta series because Matisse, there was a lot of times Matisse was all over Trey and yeah. then Trey would do some non-basketball action. Matisse would get called for a foul and you'd look at the replay and you're like, literally Matisse could not have played better defense here. What is he supposed to do? This is this is not basketball, what Trey Young is doing right now. And <laughs> right. I'm not doing this. I'm not saying this, like Trey Young's an amazing player and there's a ton of incredible things he does on the basketball court, but there's also the 5% of his game that fans get really frustrated. Opposing fans get really frustrated with because it's just, right. that's not basketball. Um, one of the officiating things that didn't happen was it looks like they're not really going to come down on the rip through move too much, mm-hmm. which was, I know that was something Sixers fans were worried about because obviously that's, a bread and butter thing for Joel. So it, it seems like he'll still have that weapon in his, his arsenal. Um, so yeah, what did, did, do you think they made the right adjustments this off season with, with these kind of officiating changes and, you know, Trey's a guy that he, he's probably a, a down ballot MVP guy. And if mm-hmm. things broke, right. I, you know, if it, the Kevin Durant's and James Harden's of the world who are on the same team, if they kind of cancel each other out and Atlanta gets a, a four seed with Trey putting up 30 and 10 a game, like I could definitely see him being near the top of that MVP conversation, but how much do you think these changes are going to affect him specifically? Yeah. Uh, when the NBA, like the referees account tweeted that out the other day, I, I tweeted a joke about like Trey was going to foul out of every game and Hawks fans did not take kindly. <laughs> so <laughs> to be clear, I think, I mean, clearly I wrote the write up about him at number four for a series. Like I, I think the guy is incredible. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of a wait and see thing where we'll see how strictly they actually officiate these things. Like every year there's a point of emphasis that, typically they call really tightly for the first two weeks and then just pretend like it never happened after that. So if they actually go by this new letter of the law, like I'm wondering if they, instead of calling all of these things, offensive fouls, they just let them go 
and don't call it either way, which I think is especially how we'll see it officiated in the playoffs, which again, that would have been fine. Cause like, if you're doing all this stuff, you're clearly trying to draw a foul. You're probably not going to shoot a high percentage on those shots. Like if Matisse did get caught doing a couple or, you know, did get caught a couple times when Trey is doing that move. Cool. As long as he's not drawing a foul, that's, that's fine. Yeah. That, that kind of like, feels like the obvious solution to me is if, yeah. if a guy's going full sprint down court stops and like veers back at a 45 degree angle while he's putting his shot up, it doesn't, he's probably not going to make it because that's not his natural shooting motion. And if, as long as you don't call it the foul on the defender, it's like, Oh, cool. You missed a shot and you look like a clown. So are you right. probably going to do that again? <laughs> no, you're probably not. Right. So, like if I, they call it offensive foul, that's great. Cause that, these guys will get into foul trouble and maybe that will even further incentivize them to stop this type of grifting. But I, you know, I, I don't, I would be surprised if they call offensive fouls every time someone gets caught doing that. Cause I do think you're going to see, you know, the, the Lucas and the James Hardens and the trays of the world do do that kind of stuff a lot. So like they really would get in foul trouble a lot in the NBA, of course, you know, you want to see your best players playing. You don't want to like have these guys, foul out in the first six minutes of a game so I, I would guess it it veers more toward no calls than offensive foul calls so I don't think it's going to affect Trey or any of these other guys too much like they're going to figure out new counters they knew this was coming the buzz has been building about this for months and as you said like these guys you know Trey Young is a three-level scorer like if he can't draw as many fouls as he did on this type of stuff. Okay. Maybe he starts driving to the basket more and that's how he draws more fouls. Like you're still going to have a really hard time stopping this kid. Um, so I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Hawks fans. I, again, I was kidding. I'm sorry. I forgot. I can't joke on Twitter anymore. Uh, but no, I think he's going to be fine. And the Hawks, it, it, you nailed it. Like I, there is definitely a world where, things just break right for them and maybe they do finish as the three or the four seed in the East. Like I, I cannot in good conscience put Philly there right now until we see how, or if, or when the Ben Simmons situation resolves. So the only other team in that conversation for me is Miami. And like, I, I feel really good about Miami's top six or seven. I think they have an incredible playoff rotation, especially defensively. But in the regular season, depth really matters. And my Atlanta has a ton of it. Like you, you can go 10, 11, 12 deep with Atlanta and feel good about the guys you're rolling out there. So I, I think there's definitely a possibility that Atlanta winds up, you know, builds on that run to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, knows, you know, this is like we proved that we can do it last year. We proved we are actually a good team. Let's just you know, hit the ground running. We're not going to have two months where knock on wood, we're not going to have two months where like two of our best players miss half the season. And we fire our head coach halfway through. Like once those guys came back, once Nate McMillan took over, they really seemed to hit their stride. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if Atlanta winds up being one of the biggest threats to the, the top two in the East. Um, you know, how Trey does individually will be really interesting because of that depth. Like maybe they don't need to lean on him as much. So maybe he doesn't average 30 and 10, like he did two years ago. Maybe it's, you know, closer to 25 and seven, 25 and eight, but that still might get him an all-star appearance because of what he did in the playoffs last year. I feel like 
Oh yeah. I, I don't think there's any question that barring injury, he's going to make an all-star team next year. Yeah. I, but he I, didn't I, last year, right? I, no, he didn't because yeah. they had, they had the, the tough start to the first half of the year, as, as you just said. Um, and it's like, all right, he's putting up stats, but they're 11 and 25. Like, are we going right. to give him the all-star thing or, or Bradley Beals doing the same thing, but you know, he, he's a veteran who's made multiple all-star teams in the past. Like th- that's the kind of conversations you have, but you're right. Like he just took a team to Eastern conference finals. As long as he continues doing what he's always done, he's going to make the all-star team next year. Um, yeah. It's like so, him and Devin Booker. It was like last year was just validation that these aren't just like empty stats, like empty calorie guys. Like they actually impact winning when they're surrounded by somewhat competent teammates for the first time in their career. Yeah, exactly. So you, you kind of led perfectly in the, into the, the final thing I wanted to ask you here. Um, I, I Just first off, I agree completely with Atlanta. I, they, they showed in reaching the, the conference finals last year, how, how deep they are as a, as a team. They were also missing DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish mm-hmm. due to injury. So those are two guys they have back in the fold. And I thought they had a good draft. Um, I thought Sharif Cooper was getting him yeah. in the second round was an absolute steal. Uh, so yeah, they're, they have a good mix of youth and a few veterans sprinkled in and, and they're very deep and they have, uh, you know, at least with Trey and a couple other guys, they have, you know, high ceiling guys who could continue to improve and, you know, Trey's an all-star and, you know, a couple guys are just right below being all-star caliber. So you, you have a, a good mix there that, uh, yeah, I'm definitely worried about them next year. So I wanted to ask you, um, and you kind of already answered this to an extent, but the Sixers have the third highest odds for the Eastern Conference right now heading into mm-hmm. the season. Brooklyn's kind of the, the the heavy favorite, and then Milwaukee's not too far behind them. Sixers are in kind of a tier by themselves in third, and then there's there's Miami, Atlanta, and Boston. So based on what you just said, it seems like if I, if I had to say who's the third best team in the East to you, you're kind of leaning Atlanta right now? Is that- yeah, it's 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 one of Atlanta, Miami. Like if you told me Miami is getting to the playoffs with all of their top guys fully healthy, and they met my like it, they in some world they meet Atlanta in their first round or a second round series, that would be tough because I do like those top three for Miami in particular, like Bam, Lowry, Jimmy, just feel like a playoff nightmare. And then yeah. add PJ Tucker for the defense, Duncan Robinson. If Tyler Hero takes that leap, like, you know, he he kind of, I don't want to say plateaued, but didn't take the leap a lot of people were expecting him to take last year. And I think we'll see how he responds to that. But I get the sense that that was probably, you know, everyone was like hyping him up after that run in the finals. And then yeah. kind of plateauing, like might give him that motivation to actually take a big leap this year. Yeah, he did plateau, which, you know, that's not insulting to a player. Like everyone expects it to like, oh, you always have to gradually improve. Like you're going up a like a ladder in right. in your career. But that's that's not always the case. Sometimes, you know, the roster construction or just, you know, whatever else you, you, you might just uh, have a year where you don't really progress. And then then suddenly you make a big leap because something clicks or, you know, what it could be any or you get a Kyle Lowry who's perfect at setting you up in a certain, uh, you know, pl- uh, two man action that you develop together. Like there's, yeah, you know, there's an, any number of things just because a guy doesn't jump consistently from year to year. doesn't mean that his career is suddenly on a downswing or anything. And, and, right. and here is still a very young player with a lot of promise. So 
yeah, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all if he took another leap this year. I remember there was some of that conversation around Jason Tatum after his second year. Like he had yeah. such a good rookie season and then he didn't take a major step forward that second year. And it was like, oh, see, we told you he peaked at 19. Yeah. And then like <laughs> he comes back the third year. He's like, oh, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. We were wrong. A guy, a guy definitely couldn't improve from his age 20 to 21 season. That would be impossible. <laughs> right. Exactly. So like I, I think Atlanta is the third best team in the regular season. I think if Miami is fully healthy in the playoffs, I would lean toward them. Cause I'm also like Victor Oladipo is just out there as ultimate wild card. (laughs) Yeah. Like if he's even 80% of old Victor Oladipo, that totally changes how we perceive Miami and their depth. But, you know, I think Atlanta, because of their depth, I would give them the best chance of finishing third in the East. Um, I put Miami fourth. I, again, I just don't know what to do with the sixth. Like, if you tell me Ben Simmons is going to be holding out till the trade deadline and he's still on the team, I don't think I could put them above Boston. But if, like, if he's gone in mid-November and not even get Dame, but get like Malcolm Brogdon plus someone else plus pick. Well, picks don't matter, but Malcolm Brogdon plus someone or like the Spurs package is the one I keep coming back to. If you get like Dejounte Murray and Devin Vassell and Thad Young. Then yeah, I'm putting the Sixers in that same tier as Atlanta and Miami. Um, so I, I like I, I I just feel like they need to be removed. Like I would not put any money on the Sixers with the yeah. third best odds right now. Absolutely not. Please just Venmo me if you want to spend money on that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't um, make sense because I I don't think even if they got a comparable return for Ben, I still wouldn't call them the favorite by any stretch so why why would you it just feels like you're wasting money to throw throw money at them even at third best odds like yeah there's just i don't it's it's really hard for me to see a scenario where they're the best team in the east this year and it's very easy to see a scenario where they're like sixth or seventh so unless i mean if things really do break down in portland early and they somehow do sneak their way like I knew neil o'shea said they are not entertaining damian lillard trade offers whatever but like in the very unlikely event that that happens, then I could see it. So like, there is like one, you know, like the Dr. Strange, like I went through 15 million <laughs> outcomes and there's the one, like that's the one where I could see them getting to the top yeah. seed in the East. But well, Brian, you promised me this was the one. So <laughs> I am Tony right, right, Stark right. and I'm going up to you. And <laughs> I feel like you're promising Dame Lillard right now. No. <laughs> hold, hold, hold it out for four years and you'll get Dame Lillard eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like I put Boston, I think I put Boston above the Sixers right now too, until we see how the Ben situation is resolved. And that pains me to my core to say that I'm sorry to everyone <laughs> who just had to hear me say that, but I mean, the Schroeder edition, like, that's the thing I keep coming back to. If you, it, it, I think it's, it's fair to say, I don't know if like Daryl overplayed his hand here, but I would have liked a better contingency plan, at least like if you thought the Simmons situation was going to trickle over into the regular season, even getting a guy like Schroeder would have at least helped bridge the gap where we don't have this concern of like, do we have a single point guard on the roster? We don't know. (laughs) So like Boston having him, you know, I know there's concern about their lack of playmaking as well, but like, don't we have the exact same concern with the Sixers right now with, without Ben? So, yeah, I think, you know, I still think they're a comfortable top six seed. I would put them above everyone else, but I would put them below Miami, Atlanta, and Boston right now. Yeah. Um, 
Well, if if an Al Horford led Boston team finishes ahead of Philadelphia this year, there, there's not going to be a lot of happy people in the Delaware <laughs> Valley. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, you're you're right. Like uh, something they had something like the Al Horford exception, and it's like yeah, you could have just maybe gone out and found a a second string point guard and using using that exception to to bring in and maybe you're not counting on shake Milton to be your backup point guard. You have this, this veteran backup instead, but yeah, there, there definitely felt like there were things he could have done differently just specifically around Simmons. I don't think, I think it was just such a hard situation that I don't think I would have done anything differently to this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. Contingency plans that there could have been things around the margins um, he might've done differently, but all right. Well, I think, uh, the Sixers finishing below Boston is not the best place to end on, but uh, we'll, we'll end there regardless. Um, Brian, thank you for coming back on the pod and joining me this week. Um, I know you're you're at btoporic on Twitter. Um, I listed some of your outlets, but why don't why don't you just run down uh, the full list of where people can find you and uh, plug anything you want for us here? Yeah, you can find me at Forbes Sports. I write about the Sixers and just general salary cap stuff there. Fan-sided, I write about everything. I'm the co-host of the NBA podcast, which you can find wherever podcasts are found. So please check out all that. I'm writing, we have to do these like season previews for Forbes. So I'm doing the Blazers and the Sixers. I already wrote the Blazers one. I knew, <laughs> like That was easy. Uh, and I told my editor, like the, the deadline is October 12th. I'm like, I'm going to write this on October 11th. I, <laughs> there's just no point right now. Like I can't discuss this team until I know what's going to happen here. So pray for me if they still have not traded Ben Simmons by next week and I have to write a thousand words on deadline. It's going to be the morning of October 11th when the trade finally falls. (laughs) You're going to have that day to digest it all and get your preview out. Um, At least I'll have content. Yeah, there you go. Um, That's, that's, that's all we ever want. We just want content. Um, (laughs) So, all right. Well, Brian, thanks. Thanks so much for joining me on the pod this week. And uh, to all the listeners out there, I'll I'll catch you next week. Um, Have a good weekend.